What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another wonderful episode of Fraternity. I'm your little brother, Danny, and I'm here with my big brother, Sean. Hey, up yours with the twirling lawnmower. <laughs> What's going on? You know, we're back, and we're doing another Wes Craven film. Sean, I think we've done... I think Wes Craven is our most done director, don't you think? Quite possibly. You know, we started the season with Scream. So why don't you tell our lovely listeners how we're going to be wrapping the season up? Well, we're wrapping it up with a banger because we're covering the original A Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, before we get into story time, Danny, I'm pretty sure you've at least seen this original. But why don't you tell us all your familiarity with the franchise yeah i've seen this film this is the only one in the franchise that i've seen and i was watching it you know i always group when i think about this film i think about hellraiser because i watched both of those films around the same time when i was really starting to explore horror but of course i've always known freddy i've also always seen him around and you know he's such a cultural icon and of course knowing it from you so i'm pretty familiar probably the most familiar with this series more than anything else but you've only seen this first one before around like 2016 2017 when i watched it right on well i don't need to tell you how much this film and franchise is loved by millions of horror fans all around the world. All I can really tell you is how much I personally love this movie. You know the expression, a rolling stone gathers no moss? That's how I am when it comes to my unyielding desire to consume all of the horror movies I possibly can. And from time to time, I've discovered a movie that rose to the top of my favorites list. But just like that Rolling Stone, my list of favorite films is constantly shifting and changing. So the best way that I can gauge my ultimate list of favorite films is to consider how long any one movie sat atop that list. And after considering the countless hours I've spent watching and quite frankly, obsessing over the original A Nightmare on Elm Street, there's a strong argument to make that, that this just might be my favorite horror movie of all time. I know I've said this about other favorite movies of mine, but I just cannot recall the first time that I saw this movie. I don't even think the original was the first Freddy Krueger movie as they're so often lovingly referred to as, that I saw. And that's a good thing to bring up, because Freddy Krueger, like you said, is a cultural icon. And that pop culture popularity was so massive in the 80s that any child knew Freddy, whether they had seen one of these movies or not. I was lucky enough to be one of those kids that popped their horror movie watching Cherry in the single digit age. 
So you better damn well believe that I not only knew who Freddy Krueger was, but I was indeed enjoying the hell out of these movies. Some memories I have are... One time our parents took me to see some movie at the drive-in. I couldn't have been but three or four years old. So this is one of the earliest memories I probably have. But there was this screen to the left of ours. And it was either showing the Dream Warriors or Dream Master. But I could not keep my eyes off that screen. Every time Freddy was popping up over there, my eyes would wander. So much so that I can't tell you what the hell movie we were supposed to be watching. I also remember being absolutely terrified by a poster of the dream child that one of our cousins had over their bed. <laughs> and one of my greatest horror movie purchases of all time involves finding the Nightmare on Elm Street DVD box set at a gas station on my 18th birthday. This was one of the greatest DVD sets to ever come out. Everybody loved this Nightmare on Elm Street box set. And it had been out for a while, but it was definitely still weird to find it at a gas station. But what's more is the $14.99 price tag it had on it. $14.99 for seven Nightmare on Elm Street films. You just can't beat that. That is probably the greatest score in my physical media collecting legacy that I'll ever have. <laughs> I even got dad to take me to see Freddy's Dead in the movie theater. And I realized that I was only seven years old. And it's moments like that that remind me what a lucky lifelong horror movie fan I really am. But nothing, Danny. And I mean nothing. Even though I can't remember it, nothing compares to that original film and seeing it for the first time. You want to know how I know that? I know that because the countless times I've watched it again since that very first time. I may not remember that first time, but I damn well remember the dozens upon dozens of times afterwards. You know what I'm saying? I've pretty much invested hours, if not days, if not weeks, if maybe months of my life to this movie. And it's all coming together right now here on Fraternity for us to do this episode. You know, I've expressed from time to time our parents' relaxed stance on me watching horror as a child. But that's not to say that there weren't objections from time to time. You know, of course, those objections also arose thanks to the fact that my favorite genre is the American slasher. Because our mother... She wasn't a big fan of what she would refer to as mindless killing. <laughs> and we can argue all day about whether that's fair or not, but A Nightmare on Elm Street was a slasher film that broke the mold in a lot of ways. Mainly in the way that it has such a wildly fantastical supernatural element. And then it takes that and it just runs with it 
with the most creative uses of the concept you can imagine. And that concept, of course, is a dream stalker. And this idea that if he kills you in your dream, you die for real. So without further ado, let's discuss A Nightmare on Elm Street. But before that, just wanted to say the number one spot to keep up to date with everything that Fraternity is doing is over on Twitter. Go over to Twitter, type in our handle. It's at Fraternity. Go give us some follows, like our tweets, retweet us, do all that good stuff. DM us if you want to say hi. And if you have any questions, comments, anything at all, you can email Fraternity at gmail.com. That's Fraternity at gmail.com. And if you like the show, give us a rating on the podcast platform of your choice that you listen to your boys on. But yeah, Sean, let's get in to this movie. We immediately open and get to witness the creation of Freddy's iconic glove. And for some reason, I never give this scene much thought. But this is a really cool way to open the movie, don't you think? Yeah, I agree. And it's like... I feel like immediately you recognize the amazing cinematography in the film with this intro. Yeah, we see the glove tear through some cloth. And then we're introduced to Tina. And what I really like here is that we have no real idea of what's going on, right? We know something isn't right, though, because teenage girls don't just run around boiler rooms in their nightgowns, do they? (laughs) (laughs) we also get some awesome glimpses of freddy like they are definitely not shy about wanting to show us who's going to become one of the most legendary horror icons in history but they're not giving it to us all at once they're giving us just a little bit but the way they're managing the reveals is you know you just know you're in the hands of a master of horror here Freddy eventually confronts Tina. And we get some good, what I like to call, dream running. We get this quite a few times in the movie. And Tina finds herself trapped. And I love this bit where she screams and Freddy steps off to the side and we hear what sounds like... It sounds like a mixture of goats and babies crying. (laughs) It really creeps me (laughs) out. And then all of a sudden, Freddy bursts out from behind Tina, but she suddenly wakes up in bed from what has been this terrifying nightmare. And that right there is the first four minutes of A Nightmare on Elm Street. But Danny, let's talk about Tina a bit, because back in October, we covered Dario Argento's Suspiria. And we talked about how that opening kill just may be the greatest opening kill of all time. But Danny. Tina, for all intents and purposes, is our opening kill. And I've got to say, I think she just might be the best. There's definitely an argument to be made. I mean, this opening kill, like, sets the bar pretty damn high. (laughs) First of all, How about the genius of stretching our opening kill out as much as Wes Craven does here? Because on a first-time viewing, you very well may think Tina is the main character of this story. And I think a big part of this is that there's a lot more table setting to be done here than the average slasher. 
So we establish Freddy as the monster in the nightmare. We get to meet the Elm Street kids. And you know, the Nightmare series on the whole just may have the best teenagers of any slasher series. And this first entry is close to being the best of the bunch in that regard. Because we already got Tina. And now we meet Tina's on and off again boyfriend Rod. A leather jacket wearing bad boy type. Played as if Krug from Last House on the Left were just a dickhead high school kid. (laughs) Then there's Glenn. The good guy boyfriend to our actual leading lady. The incomparable Heather Langenkamp as Nancy Thompson. And that's our main characters. And with that out of the way, let's go ahead and set the table for this opening kill. So Nancy and Glenn go to keep Tina company and stay the night at her house while her mother's away. She's scared due to the nightmare she's been having. And after a pretty good comedic bit with Johnny Depp, we get to what I think is actually the scariest part of the movie. Because it's here where, in conversation, the teens learn that they've been dreaming of the same sleep stalker. You know, this movie is just brilliantly laying out its concepts. And it's a terrifying one. And just this conversation alone is scary. If you and your friends realized you all were being terrorized by the same dream boogeyman, you'd drop a load in your drawers on the spot. Don't deny it. You know I'm right. No, you're right. I mean, I rarely have nightmares, so having a nightmare for me is (laughs) scary. (laughs) Yeah, it's just creepy. And at this point in the movie, I think the anticipation is just so strong. And with each passing moment, we're learning more, and we know that these kids have to go to sleep. They even take the opportunity to give us a nice fake scare here with Tina's boyfriend, Rod. And he scares everyone in the backyard by using one of those claw rakes to make scraping sounds that are similar to Freddy's glove in the nightmares. Which, if I'm not mistaken, that subtly confirms the fact that Rod, too, is suffering from these nightmares, wouldn't you think? So our first kill is drawing closer. And you just know it's coming after Tina and Rod enter the bone zone. Like, she's done for now, right? Yeah, you can't have sex. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about this, too. There's nine movies in total that feature Freddy Krueger. But it's incredible to think just how many iconic moments we get in this next dream sequence that's going to culminate in our opening kill. We get Nancy asleep in Tina's bed, where Freddy's visage appears in the wall and he attempts to push through. That bit right there will never cease to be amazing, right? Tina gets drawn outside and she wanders into the back alleys behind the houses. And we get our first real good look at Freddy as he offers Tina this hug with some outrageously outstretched arms. We get the famous this is God line. And then Freddy chases Tina. We are introduced to Freddy's deranged playfulness as he cuts his fingers off in front of her. And I really love this bit where they're wrestling and Tina pulls the skin off of his face. 
Freddy, as we all know, is known for the humor. And while we don't really get one-liners yet, I think the humor in the sequels was never quite as cerebral as they are here. But after all that, we cut to the bedroom. And I just gotta say, that shot of Tina and Freddy under the sheet, that's just money, bro. (laughs) (laughs) So poor Rod has to watch in his tidy whities as Tina seems to wrestle with an invisible attacker. And we see her violently split open by the four razors on the glove. She's then tossed around the room and dragged across the walls and ceiling, reaching out for Rod before eventually collapsing to the bed and leaving this room a blood-splattered mess. And what can you really say? The stunt work, the incredible performance by Amanda Wise, the use of the rotating set and all of the practicality, all things considered, of course. It's obvious what's going on there now, but it still lends this scene an incredible amount of practicality. I love the fact that they even got that shot with Rod in frame. Beautiful stuff. So you know what? I will abstain for the rest of my time on this show from proclaiming anyone killed a de facto opening kill because clearly my call on Suspiria was premature. Because this one (laughs) is way high up in the running. It's undeniable. Damn. Such praise. Well, we'll hold you to that one, Sean. (laughs) I mean, am I wrong, though? I mean, what do you think of this kill? No, I think it's great. Like you said, I mean, there's just clearly amazing skill going on here. (laughs) It's just you know, such a marvel of a scene. And you're right. It's definitely got to be up there, if not the best. So far, I mean, there's a lot of opening kills, a lot of horror I haven't seen. I think we're going to have to start compiling a list. (laughs) (laughs) Well, with that, this truly becomes Nancy's story now as we get introduced to her divorced parents, Donald and Marge. So Nancy's the daughter of a cop, and her father is a solid performance by John Saxon. And then you have Ronnie Blakely with this lovingly overdramatic performance as the alcoholic mother. Sometimes there's a lot I don't like about her performance, but then for some reason I can't help but enjoy it. (laughs) I feel the exact same way. It's like... At times, it almost feels like she's in the wrong movie. <laughs> but, but then, you know, she'll have a scene with Nancy, and it's just like, you know, you can't imagine it going any other way. So, I don't know. It's, it's weird, but it just somehow fits perfectly at times. Yeah, let's discuss the parents in general here, because we're going to learn a bit later... That the Elm Street kids are paying for the sins of their parents, right? And we don't know that yet. But it is interesting to think how much of what we're already seeing are ramifications from that incident in the past. Because Tina's parents were divorced also. 
you know, Wes Craven is really great at capturing the suburban middle America family, right? In all its hidden distresses. So we can only wonder how much of this is influenced by the sordid past already. I like to cons- I like to give that a thought, you know. Yeah, to- like how deep is the thread going, you know? Another aspect of this film that I really like is how Rod is made to suffer the real-world consequences for Freddy's murder. Because I don't think we ever see another kid get fucked over like that by Freddy's actions in any of the other movies. And it's the next day that Rod drags Nancy into the bushes and confides in her. But he soon finds a gun pointed at him as Cop Daddy Thompson had put a tail on Nancy without her knowing. And when Nancy calls him out on it, he winds up asking a very pertinent question. because. Why in the hell is Nancy going to school the day after Tina was murdered? (laughs) You know, there is a serious lack of grief counseling on Elm Street. It's a common thing. Like, (laughs) your friends are dead, but you're going to school the next day. I don't get it. I would gladly jump at the opportunity to stay home if that happened in my circle of friends. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Nancy at school does give us a great opportunity to discuss the dream sequences in general, though. You know, the dream sequences, they offer great transitions, especially here, because I've always been disturbed by the kid reading Julius Caesar in the class. I also always appreciate when the dream has characters that were in the environment, but now they're either manipulated by the dream or they just appear oblivious, like they're not a part of it. Yeah, the kid reading Shakespeare is like such a good bit in here, especially when finally realize that Nancy's dreaming. Yeah, and she's startled when she hears Tina calling out to her and we see Tina wrapped in her bloodstained body bag and pawing at it as she calls out to Nancy. And Nancy follows this body bag and she finds a trail of blood down the school corridor. And we see that the body bag is being dragged by some invisible entity. And then we get this collision between Nancy and this hall monitor who's dressed like Freddy. And another aspect of the dreams is how you don't have to get ridiculously creative like the fact that they put wind and leaves in a school hall you know it's putting these basic elements that don't make sense together when you bring them together they really allow these nightmare sequences to shine even the environmental shifts are just magical you know the way we transition from the school to the boiler room And it seems natural, but you know it isn't right, you know? Yeah, you're kind of like, huh, that was weird, but we'll go with it. (laughs) Yeah, I love the dreams in this film, how, you know, they take that familiarity and twist it on its head and really screw with your perception. The thing that constantly gets my attention is the fact that You know, everything they're doing here, it's nothing extremely elaborate, but it doesn't have to be. And that's what makes it so good. It's just them 
literally nailing this concept to the T repeatedly. For instance, what does Freddy do when he finds Nancy? Well, he cuts his chest open and laughs as maggots and goose spill out. Nothing elaborate, just perfection. <laughs> and eventually Nancy finds herself cornered by Freddy in the boiler room, just like Tina. And she winds up resorting to burning her own arm on a steaming hot pipe. And this causes her to wake up in class screaming. And that, my friends, is why you don't go to school the day after your best friend is killed. So Nancy's going to visit Rod in jail. And after their discussion, Nancy's putting the relation between Freddy and really, besides Freddy doing his own name drops, we still know nothing about his character at this point. But she's putting the dream boogeyman and the murder and the connection together, right? So she doesn't believe Rod killed Tina. She thinks something's going on. And you have to give it up for Nancy. I think that's why she's so beloved as a final girl. Because of all the final girls, she's undoubtedly the most pragmatic. She may be scared, but she always stays level-headed. And like her mother mentions later on, you know, it's her nature to face things. She doesn't shy away. She takes her problems head on. And that's how we're going to soon be finding Nancy entering a dream state on purpose in search of answers. But before that, we get the bathtub scene, Danny. And you know, speaking of transitions, I love how quickly that glove rises out of the bathwater the moment she nods off. Like, it's not even a second, and it just shows how ready to pounce Freddy is. This is another scene where it's like, what can you say? Just a great scene. And again, it comes down to this unelaborate practicality with Nancy getting yanked into the dreamy depths of her bathtub here. And I think the fact that this is all practical, it's a moment that could only happen in a Nightmare on Elm Street film. And I think that's what makes it stand even more apart today than it might have before. I'm sure it stood apart in 1984, but I think it still stands on its own today. With that said, Danny, if I were dealing with Freddy Krueger nightmares, I don't think I'd be watching The Evil Dead on my TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. So eventually Glenn sneaks over and Nancy asks him to stand guard over her while she goes to sleep and attempts to enter her dream telling him to wake her up the moment she shows any signs of distress. And in her dream, Nancy finds her way to the police station and witnesses Freddy entering Rod's cell. We get more body bag Tina, but they raise the stakes. It's no longer just blood covered. Now there's snake and doo-doo all over the place and millipedes crawling out of her mouth. And it's really gross, really disgusting. But next thing you know, Danny... Freddy's popping out of bushes and chasing Nancy, and she makes it home. But when she attempts to run upstairs, the stairs become this stride-stifling pit of goo, I guess, or oatmeal. 
always loved this particular gag, the the gooey steps, because it's an idea that's just so relatable, right? I'll also say that Freddy bursting through the glass window in the door and wearing Tina's face as a mask as he calls out to Nancy to save her from Freddy. That is a criminally underrated moment in this franchise. So Nancy escapes to her room. But it doesn't matter because she's still in a dream. And I just have to ask you, Danny, who burst through a door mirror best? Freddy or Terry <laughs> O'Quinn in The Stepfather? Well, Freddy had that swiftness with it. He tackled Nancy like nothing, you know. <laughs> Terry O'Quinn kind of stumbled through it, you know, after <laughs> repeatedly banging on the door. I think I'm just going to give it to Freddy on Looks Alone, bro. I know you've got a hard on for Terry O'Quinn, but Freddy wins, hands down. <laughs> so Nancy and Freddy wrestle around a room as Glenn remains asleep in the chair until finally this alarm goes off and it wakes Nancy up. So basically, Glenn is a shithead, and Rod is fucked. Because police in Wes Craven movies are as incompetent as they come. So, despite his daughter's pleas and a deputy's mishandling of some keys... <laughs> Where's my keys? <laughs> <laughs> Officer Thompson and his police are going to check on Rod a few seconds too late. As Freddy strangles him to death by hanging him with a noose made of his bedsheets. You know, there's a lot of funerals on Elm Street also. These movies have a lot of funeral scenes. And after Rod's funeral, Nancy tells her parents about this boogeyman. And we get those great close-up zoom-in shots on the faces of the parents that just scream like, We did something terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get this what I just have to call a really dopey scene probably the only bit in the movie that I find questionable and that's where Nancy's mother takes her to this sleep disorder institute this to me is just a goofy scene yeah it's like what are they doing what is this place <laughs> is this even actual real stuff <laughs> technology there's this mumbo jumbo movie science <laughs> right you know it serves to introduce the concept that things can be taken out of the dream as nancy finds herself not only sliced on the arm and sporting gray hair but she's clutching the fedora that she snatched off of freddy's head and oh how i wish i could have seen that <laughs> why did we not get that right you, you get no dream sequence here it's just i don't know it's kind of cool to just see it play out naturally like here's what the real world nancy is experiencing but at the same time we get plenty of that already so <laughs> do we really need more of it yeah, I'm just not sold on the idea that we had to go to this Dream Institute to accomplish any of this. Like, the part that really frustrates me, not frustrates, but makes me laugh at the film and not with it, is when he's narrating the data. He's like, oh, she's dreaming now. It's a good one. Like, are you really going to fish, bro? And then, 
you even get the bit where Nancy's mother is like, what are dreams anyway? And the doctor like runs his mouth for a minute before going, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> isn't this your fucking job? Dreams are a mystery, man. I don't know. <laughs> like I said, that it's goofy. <laughs> what, are, what are dreams anyway, doctor? Well, I am a dream doctor, but I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> At this point in the movie, too, things get pretty talky with Nancy and her mother. And this is where they provide some excellent drama, despite Ronnie Blakely's overacting. Mommy also has a hard time keeping secrets, so it isn't long before she's informing Nancy of Freddy Krueger's sordid past. And that wonderfully glorious neighborhood barbecue they all had as him with the guest of honor. <laughs> Is it a bit of a stretch, though, that she kept the glove? What do you think? It just kept it in the basement. <laughs> like, yeah, a little weird. Like, I guess it's a trophy. <laughs> you know, we also get a scene here where Glenn isn't a total douchebag. And it's him and Nancy just discussing dream skills. And we see that Nancy's reading a book on improvised booby traps because. If there's one thing you know for sure that you're getting in an early Wes Craven film, it's a grand finale that is just laced with improvised homemade booby traps. <laughs> and with all of that, the stage is pretty much set, Danny. Nancy plots to have Glenn come over and watch over her as she sleeps. And she intends to grab a hold of Freddy and pull him out of the nightmare and into the real world. So Glenn can cold cock the sucker. The only thing they have to do is not fall asleep for a couple of hours. So there's no way that Glenn can fuck this up, right? Uh. Uh is right. <laughs> <laughs> because it isn't long before Nancy's getting French kissed by a Freddy phone. And Glenn is getting sucked into an abyss that has formed in his bed. Along with his television set and record player. What a waste. I know, watching that poor record player go. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, Danny? You don't build a rotating set just to use it once, am I right? No, you gotta get your money's worth. <laughs> yeah, so naturally, a blood geyser, formerly known as Glenn, erupts from this bed and just starts accumulating on the ceiling. So I'm gonna go ahead and say it. I think Glenn died of natural causes. What do you think? <laughs> Yeah, a normal bed explosion happens all the time. <laughs> the cops and Nancy's father sure don't know what to think. And this leaves Nancy all alone and locked inside her own house because her mother has put bars on all the windows. But Nancy decides to enter the nightmare and confront Freddy all by herself. After rigging the house with a great deal of booby traps, of course. So Nancy sets an alarm and enters the nightmare. She goes down to the cellar and checks the furnace where her mother keeps Freddy's glove, but it's missing now. And then we get a nice location transition yet again as Nancy wanders further down. You know, she's already in the cellar, but then there's another door that goes further down. And now, voila, we are in the boiler room. And there's blood-stained items that used to belong to her friends scattered all around the boiler room. Freddy, always lurking. And then he finally attacks. So the chase is on. 
And Nancy winds up leaping to safety. But she finds herself falling from her roof and landing on top of the stack of discarded rose trellises. And with nary a second to spare, Freddy reappears and Nancy dives towards him and grabs a hold just as her alarm goes off and wakes her up in her bed. And at first it appears that her plan didn't work. But once again, Freddy leaps out of the shadows and goes after Nancy. But this is no longer the dream world. And we already have a pretty good idea of how headstrong and reliable Nancy is. I can't help but think of how often Ghostface gets pummeled in the Scream movies. As we watch Freddy get a coffee pot smashed over his head and then he proceeds to just walk into every booby trap Nancy has set up for him. Nancy's trying to get the attention of her dad as Freddy takes a sledgehammer to the gut. He falls over the balcony and tumbles down a flight of stairs. Trips over a tripwire and triggers this explosion from a gunpowder-loaded light bulb. I mean, this dude is just taking it six ways from Sunday, right? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's getting thrashed on. He winds up chasing Nancy down to the basement. And if you thought this guy was pissed off already, how pissed off you think he is when he gets set on fire all over again? He also gained 20 pounds when he got <laughs> set on fire. You know what? I have to say, never mind all the extra weight Freddy put on. This is an incredible burn. Fully engulfed and running up a flight of stairs before falling down said stairs and attempting to run up again. Before this stuntman finally had enough and said, fuck this, put me out. <laughs> yeah, man, it, it goes the extra mile for sure. If I'm not mistaken, I think that Byrne won an award that year because you don't see that much activity in a full body burn usually. And at that time, you know. Yeah, usually it's like, all right, we got the shot. All right, put him out. <laughs> yeah, this guy had to practically beg to be put out. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, Nancy's father finally arrives with some backup. And they go inspect the basement. But Nancy notices a trail of flaming footsteps heading upstairs into her mother's room. And once upstairs, Nancy and her father find flaming Freddy on top of her mom. And Donald tosses the covers over the both of them to extinguish the flames. And when he pulls them back, we all witness this very bizarre sequence as Nancy's mother's horrendously burned corpse descends into this smoky abyss that the bed has become. And then with that, the bed returns to normal. And Nancy is left all alone in the room. And all of a sudden... Freddy is seemingly reborn, cutting himself free as he rises from the bedsheets. Unfortunately for Freddy, Nancy starts to use her dream skills to turn her back on him, and she takes all the energy she gave him back. She demands the return of her mother and friends, and with one final lunge towards Nancy, Freddy just vanishes into the ether. And with Freddy seemingly vanquished, Nancy exits the bedroom and finds herself stepping into a warm, sunny morning along with her mother, who makes a vow to never drink again, Danny. Then Glenn, 
Tina and Rod pull up in a car. They pick Nancy up. But before they can pull off, the roof of the car comes crashing down. And we see the car has the color scheme of Freddy's sweater. And the windows start rolling themselves up and the kids begin to panic as the doors lock on them. They scream for help while looking at Nancy's mother. But the car just drives off as she waves. And as she waves to them goodbye, we see the jump rope Freddy girl singing the Freddy song. When all of a sudden Freddy's arm bursts through the door window and pulls Nancy's mom through it with this unnaturally quick force. (laughs) In what might be the best worst special effect of all time. I agree. It's uh, <laughs> one of the best and one of the worst, for sure. Not only that, Danny, but that is the end of our movie. And it's a bit of a clusterfuck of an ending that you can read <laughs> and hear all about in great detail on a great deal of supplemental features to learn how all of that came to come together, how it did. But we're not here to talk about that. And all I really want to hear is what you think about this movie, Danny. I mean, what can I say? A Nightmare on Elm Street? I mean, I love this film. It's hard not to love it, you know? Like, it's just everything about it is so perfect. Like, like you said, the main cast is perfect. Every kill in this film is... You know, it's almost a disservice to call them just kills because they're really just spectacles in the film. And, you know, it's there's never a dull moment in this film, and it's definitely one of my favorites, and I'm so excited to keep going down and watch the rest of the series. Awesome. And, you know, in preparation for doing this, I not only watched this Nightmare on Elm Street, but I've watched quite a few of them since they just got added to Shudder. And I am really looking forward to going through the rest of them as well eventually. Because <laughs> this is a great series. And this is a great movie. Like I said when I opened up my story time, I don't have to tell you how much millions of horror fans love this movie. But you know what? We are introducing a new segment right here and right now where we can tell you what a few fans do indeed think about this movie. You know, here at Fraternity, we've always strived to make our listeners feel like they're a part of the conversation. And there's no time like the present to just say fuck it and make you a part of this conversation. So we went ahead and asked on Twitter for you to share your thoughts and memories on the first Nightmare on Elm Street. And this is a segment we're going to be doing moving forward, but we're going to start it right here. And we got a few comments, so let's go ahead and see what everybody said, Danny. All right, cool. I'm excited. All right, so. Sam Miraculous says, I was five and watched A Nightmare on Elm Street with my mother. I never had problems getting to sleep, but other aspects of the house and backyard were scarier at night for years. 
Five's a pretty good age. And I love the fact that Sam was watching this with his mom. You know, it's always great when horror and family come together, right? Yeah, man. Freddy could be anywhere in the shadows there outside. You never know. Just going to appear and get you. Next up, we got Big Papa J, 15, who I actually go quite a way back with and may very well have watched some Freddy movies with Big Papa J. All right, Jay, let's see what you got. Big Papa Jay says, first time was with my aunt on VHS in a dark living room. Scared the crap out of me and nightmares followed. Freddy was my boogeyman for my childhood. <laughs> I think he's every child's boogeyman. <laughs> if it wasn't Freddy, it was Jason. If it wasn't Jason, it was Michael. But I think Freddy probably got a lot of us, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's literally his occupation. <laughs> Good call. All right. Graham Williams says, I think I was seven or eight watching it on VHS and the glove making scene completely grabbed me. His breathing, the score, the groan as the title came in. Perfect. Although my first memory of Freddy was seeing the poster for part two in a VHS rental shop window on a daily bus journey. And that kind of goes back to what I said about Freddy being this pop culture icon. Like even back then, whether you watched horror or not, Freddy was unavoidable. Am I right? And last but not least, we've got Kate L5678, a wonderful friend of the show all the way from Australia. Kate says, I was around eight, I think. I was really scared of Freddy, but also loved him immediately. I would look forward to the new movies coming out so much and would then spend hours trying to get to sleep because I was convinced he was hiding in my room. Isn't it funny how the movie sets the rules, but it doesn't matter if we're asleep or not. Freddy's still scary, you know, because if you notice, they're saying, oh, I was scared of places in my house or I was scared Freddy was in my house. And you didn't have to be asleep. You weren't scared of him getting you in your sleep. You were just scared of him in general. Yeah, Freddy just has, you know, something about him. It just creeps you out. It's this burnt skin, you know, uh, that's what it is for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else, though? Like Kate said. She said, I was really scared of Freddy, but also loved him immediately. I think that sums up this film and the franchise perfectly. <laughs> yeah, you know, I remember seeing something one time where it talked about how Freddy is a child murderer. But then once Freddy mania happens, you've got children dressing up for Halloween as a child murderer. And they loved him. And we love him. We still love him. So awesome comments, y'all. Thank you so much for participating. And if you want your thoughts, impressions, and memories shared on the show so that we can discuss them, look out for our pinned post every weekend before a new episode drops and you too can participate. But with all of that said, Danny, you ready to give our final favorite kill and favorite scene of the year? 
Absolutely. All right, man. Well, why don't you do the honors? What is your favorite kill in the original A Nightmare on Elm Street? Well, Sean, you know, I think I got to go with Tina. This opening kill here, it's just mesmerizing. And it just the use of the rotating set. And yeah, just that shot of Rod watching in horror along with Tina going all across the ceiling and walls. And it's just so bloody, too, and gruesome. And it just, we stay on it for so long, like, and really live with it. But, like, this kill, just, like, this whole sequence just starts and never ends. <laughs> you know, it just keeps going. So it's really great. Well, I don't think it's going to be any surprise that my favorite kill is Tina also. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how many horror movies take full advantage of and feature a rotating set? That alone puts this kill a cut above. Even if you strip away all of the awesome and iconic nightmare moments that lead up to the kill and just focus on what takes place in that bedroom, I definitely think it's the best kill this movie. And possibly the entire franchise has to offer. Again, I have to go back to that shot of Freddy and Tina under the covers. That just really stands apart in my mind as a terrifying image of Freddy Krueger. And then once the kill starts, it just has this great chaotic energy. You know, one knock this franchise gets as it goes on is a lack of is a lack of glove kills. And they may be invisible here, but we do see the full effect of the gloves in use here as they just shred Tina wide open. And then it just comes down to that rotating set. It's, dude, it's the rotating set all fucking day long. And you can't discount Amanda Weiss and this incredible performance because she sells the shit out of this. You know, I think the last thing I'll say is there's a reason this is the one kill that the franchise would eventually emulate because it's just that damn good. And that's why it's my favorite. And obviously it's your favorite too. I think it's probably a lot of people's favorite, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, all the kills in this are good, but this one is just something special. Well, why don't we see where favorite scene takes us? So what's yours? My favorite scene, I got to go with Nancy's school dream. Great choice. Yeah, just opening with that kid reading Shakespeare. And then, you know, all these odd happenings start start to happen. Like Nancy seeing... Tina in the body bag and going out and seeing her being dragged by some invisible force and the blood all over the floor. There's just something so weird about the dreams and like they're so familiar, but like there's just something off. And then, yeah, Nancy going into the boiler room and we're getting these glimpses. We get to see more and more of Freddy and it's just so expertly crafted. I love it. Yeah, that's a great choice. I had a real hard time 
figuring out what my favorite scene is just because I love so much about so many different moments of this movie. And that school dream sequence is definitely a standout moment. So excellent choice. Well, Sean, give it to us. What's your favorite scene? I decided to go with the bathtub scene. Because of all the sequences in this film, I think this one just checks all of the boxes and delivers some unforgettable imagery. It's safe to say that no one is ever safe in a horror movie, but that's especially true in a Nightmare on Elm Street film. And this scene just proves it because the sanctity of your dreams is violated. And that means everything is violated. Even the sanctity of your own bathtub, you're not safe, (laughs) you know? And I think why it stands out to me is something I already kind of spoke to, which is this is a sequence that could only be fully realized in a Nightmare on Elm Street film. Like, there's no way Jason's pulling you into an abyss from your bathtub, right? There's no way Michael Myers can do that. This is something special and exclusive to Freddy and this series. And I just love how it doesn't even matter to filmmaker. I mean, Wes Craven nails it here and it's the first and it's special, but it's a constant through this franchise where they just exploit their concept flawlessly time and time again. It's one thing to come up with these ideas and formulate a plan to make them happen. But it's another thing entirely to execute them the way they seem to always do. And I think we are just fortunate enough to live in a world where they get all the credit they deserve. And that's what we're doing here and have been doing here is trying to give the credit to all these amazing filmmakers and shine a light on all these amazing films. And with that, that is a wrap on what will probably be our longest season ever because we are sticking to a bi-weekly schedule (laughs) and I think that's for the (laughs) best. But we were weekly going into this year. So that's A Nightmare on Elm Street. And that's a wrap on 2022 for Fraternity. But worry not. Because when we come back next year, we are coming back on Friday, January 13th. So you've got another installment of another fantastic slasher franchise to look forward to. When your boys here at Fraternity come back next year. But stay tuned for our Christmas special, too. Thank you for listening, and have a great night.